Hi, this is Joe Peters. I'm about to interview John Maddox, M-A-D-D-O-C-K-S, who is the Vice President of Economic Development, answering to the Somerset County Board of Chosen Freeholders. So hello, it's Joe Peters at Coldwell Banker with John Maddox, and John is the Economic Development Manager, if I have your title correct, our Vice President for Somerset County. So yes. John, say hello. Good afternoon. Hey, why don't you spend 30 seconds and tell us a little about your background? Sure. So as a technical matter, uh, Somerset County conducts economic development activities in partnership with the Somerset County Board of Chosen Freeholders as a public-private partnership. We do that out of the Somerset County Business Partnership offices, where we also serve as the regional Chamber of Commerce, although we don't use that title, uh, as, as one function. And we also provide uh, tourism development uh, services countywide. Great. And how long have you been in this position? So we, 20 years ago, we, uh, we formed the public-private partnership. And I had, so I've been here 20 years and then uh, 10 years preceding that as the County's economic development manager. Oh, I didn't realize that. So is there another county economic development manager at this point? No. Okay, so the position transitioned. Exactly. Got yeah. it. So what did you do before that? Uh, so I really uh, began my, I'll call it real estate career in uh, real estate development and construction. Okay. Uh, so I had spent a good number of years with a fairly large at the time uh, real estate development company. And uh, we also did a fair amount of design build construction for individual clients. So, you know, many companies that I deal with now who are undertaking projects, uh, I'm very familiar with the process, not only having taken projects through the planning board approvals process, but also securing <clears throat> other permits and uh, regulatory approvals that are necessary. Great. So, and you answer right to the board of chosen freeholders. Yeah. The uh, so our structure is that uh, the business Somerset County business partnership is governed principally by an executive committee. We have a board that meets four times a year, but the executive committee meets monthly, and there are uh, three representatives on the executive, three representatives of Somerset County on the executive committee of the Somerset County Business Partnership. So although I report day to day to Chris Edwards as the president and CEO of the business partnership, uh, I'm accountable, let's say, to the uh, executive committee of the, of the business partnership as well, and thus the freeholder board. How many people sit on that committee? Uh, presently 14. Wow. So they're elected to it or volunteer? So these, uh, well, there's several categories. I guess the simplest way I could put it is that the executive committee is a subset of the board of directors. Uh, but in addition, our bylaws call for very specific representation on the part of the county in the consistent with our public private partnership structure. So, for instance, the freeholder director 
and another representative of the Somerset County Board of Chosen Freeholders at their choosing uh, are, are named by title as members of the Business Partnership Executive Committee, as is the uh, Somerset County Director of Planning. Wow. A little more formal than what's, I'm, I'm, I live in Hunterdon County, and although there's a similar position, it's not, in my mind, um, as formal as your organization is. Yeah, I would say that, you know, from the beginning, we recognize the importance of a true public-private partnership. And what that requires is the business community and the public sector to come together. Uh, so it was very intentional that the governance structure of the business partnership as a public-private partnership have effective representation from not only the public sector, but also from the, uh, from the private sector, the business community. Uh, I would add that, uh, although not directly part of our county public-private partnership, the chair of the Somerset County Municipal Managers Association also sits on the Business Partnership Executive Committee. So it is, while we were speaking of governance and, and my role specifically, I want to be clear that we also have significant representation uh, through the Somerset County Municipal Managers on our governing body. So they Great. have a voice. So you have about 22 different municipalities in Somerset County, and I guess 20, each 21. one, 21. Okay. And each one of those are represented on the, via that person in general, I guess then. Yes. They are the, uh, the municipal municipal managers are the principal chief staff person in the municipality and they have formed their own organization for their own purposes known as the Somerset County Municipal Managers Association. Uh, and again, uh, their interests are represented on, on the Business Partnership Executive Committee and board. Tremendous. So I know in my business, which is real estate, which is closely associated to yours, except I do it more in residential than business or commercial, if we took January and February as our first two dates, it looked like we were going to get married this year. And uh, all of a sudden, March happened. And I'm just sort of thinking that must have had a similar effect in what you were doing. I, I like that term, March happened. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Mean, quite a year. Yes, March, March did happen. Uh, middle of March, to be precise. Uh, yeah, it certainly... Uh, certainly had an impact on, on our plans for the year. <laughs> right. That's what they say. That's making plans is God's way of laughing at you. <laughs> exactly. exactly. So what got done and what didn't get done? Well, we were fortunate. Uh, you know, we had a fortunate and I, I dare say unfortunate as well. I mean, Joe, we have some, uh, specific experience, and I, I put this uh, COVID-19 as we've coined it around here, uh, the public health response to COVID-19 under a, under a disaster framework. Um, you know, although the circumstances are a little different, uh, we have dealt with a number of natural disasters in Somerset County over the years going, at least in my history, as far back as Hurricane Floyd, 
um, which caused, caused significant uh, right. economic and community impacts. Um, so we, we have a, I dare say, a great deal of uh, experience in not only disaster response, but also what we call and what is called disaster recovery. And we were able to leverage that experience uh, as one example before the end of March, before the end of March this year, 2020, I had already assembled a team of people, mainly staff individuals that represent significant sectors, including municipal education, um, workforce to talk about what we saw happening in this public health response and what we saw as the impacts and what we thought we would need going forward from a recovery perspective. So two weeks into this, we were already having economic recovery discussions. Wow. Um, because it's my opinion, personal opinion, that you can never begin those discussions too early. Right. Uh, they're complicated. The only unknown, which is, I submit, still unknown, is when it will end. <laughs> yep. Right? I mean, we know when a hurricane or tropical storm comes through, we're pretty sure when that ends. Um, you know, so we move fairly quickly into a recovery mode. Um, but again, there's a distinction to be made between response and, and there's a lot of great people doing a lot of great things, particularly local here on the response side. And uh, we need to put that into context that at some point this will end and we will be in a recovery mode and we need to be fully prepared for recovery, which means we need to have the broadest level of discussions as, as early as possible to understand what, what is going on. So if, if we, you know, according to the powers that be, love them or hate them, if we get a vaccine somewhere around the end of the year, early next year, it's probably going to take 12 more months to get the majority of the people in the country to get vaccinated. And then it has to be proven out. So this could go on for easily another year. Yeah, I'm not. So I'm, <laughs> we've had these discussions, obviously, internally and um, looked at what the impacts or factors could be associated with various recovery scenarios. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. I still tend to think, and I'm still of the opinion that uh, these uh, are individual decisions at, at some point. In other words, how comfortable is any given individual in a situation or, you know, in the example you used with a, how comfortable are they with a vaccine? I don't know that we can aggregate those individual um, circumstances or, or thoughts that go into their decision making or how they feel about a circumstance. So what we tend to focus on 
more is analyzing the impacts. And, and I think we have a pretty good handle on that. Um, analyzing what can and can't be done reasonably to mitigate those impacts. And uh, I want to emphasize there, pause for a moment and emphasize, I mean, we are not trying to solve COVID-19 as a, as a pandemic. Um, what we are concerned about is the economic, or I am concerned about, is the economic well-being of our communities and, and our residents going forward. And to the extent that public safety is, is part of what will allow economic recovery to take place, we want to uh, understand what's going on in the public health arena, but I'm not so sure that it's a driver for all of our decision-making or the sole driver, I should say. It's interesting because I, I know I've had a couple of conversations, not with you, but with Chris and, and uh, Dan about why can't we just open up parts of the state that really haven't been affected. And the answer that came back was, really we're so mobile that most of us move four or five counties in a single day and you can't just take it in that factor because you're you're going to return to where it's more harder hit than here but i had a long conversation with jim hughes and he said that um he said, you know, he, he has a he calls them elite credentialed people, but I call them business professionals. Th those are the people that can work from home. It's not everybody that can work from home. You, you need some skills and you need some capability within your job to handle that remotely. He said the preponderance of the people that we have, not necessarily all the way down to Alice, but I've, I've heard the, the asset limited um, income constrained, but employed people comprise about 40% and of our, our workforce, our whole county really, and they have to go to work. They, they, they're just the opposite of the elite professionals. They're tied to a cash register or a gas pump or some place where they're going to work each day. So what we discussed, and when I was discussing it with Jim, I was talking to him more about Hunterdon and Somerset, but I would think the context is the same we benefited by becoming a non-bedroom community anymore to people who used to commute a long way. And at the same time, the people who had to go to work still have a job for the most part. There's some restaurants and small businesses that have fallen out. So we're not as hard hit as someplace like New York or Bayonne where all of these people used to commute to you and you had two or three or four people to support every skilled professional and now there's no work for those people. Even though they could still go to work, the work there is less than the work is here. So I think we didn't get hit as hard being a little more remote from New York. Do you feel the same way? Well, so what I would observe, and you, you put out a lot of information there. Um, what I would observe, number one, is that the retail hospitality and tourism industry in Somerset County based on number of employees is the largest industry sector in Somerset. Right. So we know as a matter of fact, that that industry sector was the hardest hit by the public health response, by closing of operations, by closing of businesses. Right. That, that's a fact. 
We have, you know, 20 some thousand people in that industry in hot, you know, by number, by number of employees, the largest industry sector in, in Somerset County. Um, so that's one observation. Another observation is I would, I would point out and sticking up for my public health friends, you know, there's a whole lot of educated, talented people that had to go to work. Those people that are showing up weekly at Raritan Valley Community College to run the COVID testing site are nurses, doctors, right. epidemiologists. They don't have the choice to work from home. Yep. <laughs> you know, they, the testing does not happen unless those nurses are there. Right. So um, just, just having uh, some sort of education and uh, I shouldn't say just, but uh, having an education or a professional license uh, does not mean that you can work from home. <laughs> I agree. I agree. It's uh, it's limited by the type of work that you do. And if it's a public facing position like a dentist, lots of education, lots of uh, um, skills, but he still has to be looking at somebody's mouth or he's not earning a living. Yeah. So, you know, then, then I think we move to the, to the other observation you were making, if I can um, synthesize it maybe a little bit, which is the way we view, and, and you put it in terms of commuting, um, but I think we need to, and, and we have done this, I, I should note that while I, I mentioned we had before the end of March this year, we had, I had assembled the uh, you know, a group of, and thanks to them for participating, but uh, a group of staff people, you know, small business development center, municipal, the college, uh, that, to try and figure out their perspective on, on from an economy side, what was going on. Um, we followed that initiative by establishing, and I believe we were the first in New Jersey to have established an economic recovery task force. We did that in uh, late April. Um, so we've been at economic recovery here since then, uh, since early, mid-April, I would say. Um, your observation's right. I mean, look, if you're, not, if you're not having to commute to the office, um, let me put that into a, an economic development perspective. The net result of that, that we've learned, is it's simply a change in the economic pattern. Right. Right. So that's the economic, that's the employment and private sector economic investment consequence. If you're not going to an office in XYZ municipality, it means you're not buying gas along the way. It means you're not having lunch there. It, that's the economic activity aspect of this that we need to understand better. And I don't think any of that is settled yet. No, but I don't. Uh, so it's, it's not that there isn't economic activity. It's where the ac activity is taking place. Right. Um, that's changed. Right over the last six months. Now, what that looks like six months from now or a year from now 
is hard to determine and back to your safety or or observation on a vaccine which is really ultimately only a safety question right it's how safe does an individual feel um you know uh, how will those patterns change if people begin to feel safer uh, will they return to quote unquote normal i think that's the big question that's interesting because uh, I'm, I'm observing a couple of things at the same time. So it gets complex because one masks the other sometimes. But I think people started to feel a little safer in the fact that they became a little more mobile back towards what was once normal to them. And it might be, um, in my example, sitting in an open house or showing some properties where I didn't do it for four or five months. Um, but I think as a result of that and people letting their guard down a little bit, we're seeing a little bit of a spike, if not a large bit of a spike, depending on your outlook on it right now. And then the second thing that gets complicated, a lot of it's happening where it didn't happen yet. So it's almost like it's traveled into the lightly hit areas eventually and they eventually suffered. Yeah, that, look, that may very well be true. I, <clears throat> one of the things we've desperately tried to do, again, just consistent with my respons job responsibilities, right, which is economic right. development, is not engage too much on the public health debate. Right. And there's still a raging debate. Oh, obviously. Um you know, that, quite frankly, is for others to decide what the appropriate level of public health response should be, what the appropriate level of public health response should be. You know, should it be a restriction on open houses? I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Should it be some protocols? I, I don't know. But what I do know is that the United States, and I dare say Somerset County, has one of the best public health systems in the world. We, we, did, not, um, we did not see a similar level of response in other countries that we right. have. Um, you know, I don't have the current numbers in front of me, but I know that Somerset County's public health department has literally conducted thousands of COVID-19 tests um, through, the, through the clinic, uh, that stage that Raritan Valley. Um, so we have a very robust public health response system. And quite frankly, they're better informed than, than any of us. <laughs> yeah. uh, as to what, and again, I come back to the word safety, which is, which is a word that came up in our economic recovery task force discussions. It is about being safe, right? That is what will make people comfortable, whether it's a comfortable going into a restaurant or whether it's comfortable going into an open house, whether it's comfortable having a, a being in the office, it's yeah. about safety. Um, 
So I see various levels. I showed five houses yesterday to a young couple that have outgrown their current house, which I sold them four years ago. And the first house took all of our temperatures before we went in, including their two-year-old who was being carried. The second house was, come on in, the water's fine. The third house was uh, one that was trying to do a virtual open house and I didn't read the fine print. And I called the agent, I said, I thought you had an open house today. And she said, no, it's virtual. You got to look at it virtual before you go in. She says, but they're not at home and I can let you in as long as you sign the COVID form. Now the state COVID form says, you have not had any contact and they have had not any contact in the last two weeks and you hold neither side responsible. Um, so that's somewhat of a, okay, slow down and think a second, but it's not, probably doesn't have a heck of a lot of legal weight other than you can't sue. Uh, the fourth house was uh, the lights were all on, go on and look, nobody asked for form, nobody took my temperature. And the fifth house was a vacant house. So that's a lot different. Right. So we met various degrees of safety along the way, almost overkill. I know, for example, my, my dentist in um, White House Station, he literally made me get a COVID test before I could come in and see him. And then my second dentist, who's, um, I have one that does sort of the gum cleaning and the other one that does the normal work. And he said, really? <laughs> he said, that sounds like overkill. I said, I don't know. I felt comfortable that you know, he was... Uh, he was taking those extreme precautions. And when I went in, there were big air purifiers near each chair. And he had, I expected the bill to be double. So various professionals have done things various ways. But I think the most I've heard, my urologist just happened to retire this year. And I told him he was going to go back and attend college, not teach college and sort of see the world. And he said, I'm not going anywhere until we have a vaccine. So he was probably like my first dentist. He was very cautious. So even the super skilled, educated professionals have taken various outlooks on this. Um, but in, in Joe, quite frankly, that's where we come back to in our discussions as an economic recovery task force, that it's very, very difficult to aggregate those individual choices. Right. right. If people are making individual choices, um, what we have to be prepared for is to accommodate those choices, right, from an economic recovery perspective. Right. That, that Somerset County is a safe place in which to do business, in which to be employed, in which to attend school, etc. Interesting. I mean, it's a it's a very pragmatic outlook of it. Is you you work within the confines of where you feel safe, and we'll work to make you feel accommodated in those confines. How how is Somerset school systems? Is anything open at all? I know Bridgewater closed back down. I read. Yeah, I have not been tracking them that closely. I pay more attention, obviously, to our higher education system, uh, right. and mainly Raritan Valley Community College. Uh, because, as you know, some of the significant workforce delivery programs that they have, right, which is training that directly feeds the needs of employers for talent, uh, some of that training has to happen hands-on. Yep. <laughs> you, you can't do that virtually. So <clears throat> I do know that they have been able to uh, structure their academics and workforce training programs in a way that they can continue to educate and train individuals so that 
they are available for employers in our community. Are the college classes is partly open? Is it a hybrid or are they still doing it totally? It's a hybrid based primarily on the, the need, right? right. The, the academic or the training need. Um, you may know that, so there are two speaking generally of the college and you'd better be better to speak with Mike McDonough, the president there yeah. about the details, but it, generally speaking, the college provides two significant resources in our community. One is academic education as a two-year community college um, with transfer benefits on to four-year uh, institutions. And then secondarily, they have workforce training, um, or actually a workforce training center. So using one of the workforce training uh, center programs as an example, which is advanced manufacturing. I mean, there, are, there is only so much in an advanced manufacturing curriculum that one can teach online. Yes, <laughs> I would think. Today you're operating equipment and machinery uh, and, and that to a degree has to be taught in person. Um, so they are able to uh, continue those programs uh, and again, you know, the point of that is that, and I'll focus on advanced manufacturing because the one I'm most familiar with, their placement rate for students going through the advanced manufacturing program is something like 98%. Wow. And we're talking about average wages, you know, in the $50,000, $60,000 a year range starting. Right. So, you know, that is, that says two things. One is Raritan Valley Community College through their workforce training is providing a significant service to employers. It also says that this is an in-demand occupation that employers need here in our community. That's and, interesting. Uh, and they're I, meeting that need. You don't want to stop. I mean, if you don't feed the need, then you're going to slow down the economy. And you don't want to see that happen. But at the same time, the economy has sort of slowed down a little on its own for other reasons. Um, but you don't want to be the one cog that's not doing its part. I know my my son-in-law's um, better half is with Ryder, and she does admissions down there. And we had dinner a couple of weeks ago and asked her, is anybody back in class? She said, no but 40% of the students are back on campus. I said, they're back on campus doing remote learning. She said, yeah, it's sort of like they can't live with mom and dad anymore for one reason or another to drive each And it's the only fragment of college life that's left is to be on campus. Mm -hmm. So uh, she said, and we're pretty typical. We've, we've done the social distancing and we've done all of the remote learning but they're, they're here, they're not at home. And then I, that group that you joined me with, several people have college, kids off at college and they're saying the same things. It's like, there's this uh, dichotomy. One is one side saying, I'm not gonna pay 62,000 for you to do remote learning. And the other side saying, if I'm gonna pay the 62,000, you're gonna at least go and sit in, okay, the room and board's probably another 1,000 months, you got some college life. But I think once again, it's good by that time, it's, the, the, the cross is up the pumpkin, getting the kids out of the house isn't a bad idea. 
<laughs> so let's talk about general economy. What projects were on, on scope for this year that happened and didn't happen? Yeah, so as I mentioned, uh, Mar from March until uh, July, August, uh, we were pretty much focused on making sure that we had a substantive economic recovery plan right. in place. Um, we've begun chipping away at that plan. Uh, you know, I don't, so much of this is dependent on, so much of what we do is dependent on where other situations are at, right? So yep. timing, timing has a lot to play here. Uh, but I think we're still, the conclusion that we have reached and what we've, how we've translated this, it, the conclusion is that talent, a talented workforce is still going to drive the day. I mean, that is what employers demand. And right. That was the case before COVID-19. It, it remains the case. And, and as near as we can tell, talent, talent, is in the driver's seat here. They will, when we talk about how safe people are and how safe people feel, uh, which are two different things, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, it, it is talent that will drive the decision-making on the part of the employer. So we've made sure that we're visible to talented individuals that are seeking a you know, a community with world-class amenities as we have here in Somerset County, whether it's our school system, our park system, our education, you know, our higher ed system and include VOTEC in that, our Somerset County VOTEC. Um, you know, those are amenities, cultural amenities, Duke Farms, US equestrian team located here, amenities people don't often think about. Um, you know, that, those are important amenities to talent. Uh, so we've uh, spent a lot of time and effort in communicating that message to talented individuals uh, because we believe that people want to be safe and we right. believe they can be safe in Somerset County. So one of the things we witnessed was the moving west from the New York or the New Jersey areas along the New York border. And it's a reversal effect a little bit too, because I have a couple of people that live in my community in Clinton, New Jersey, that drive over to AT&T and Basking Ridge. And they told me they're never going back to work. So, I mean, they're not going to drive that 22 miles anymore, much less 40 or 50 all the way over to the city or Bayonne or Jersey City. So, then it becomes a search of where is the talent as companies look to relocate because they're going to relocate to where the talent is at. And I think that's one of the things that Mike Kerwin always talked about is Somerset County is a seat of, of not only highly educated, but highly diverse talent. Yeah, I, so I think the dynamic in that equation that is still unsettled is what does the corporate or company site location or site selection process look like? Right. Um, 
and I'm not sure that anyone, at least from what I read, Joe, the thinking is all over the place here, right? On, on what, what, let's step back on that. And just so we paint the clear picture. You mentioned Jim Hughes before, Dr. Hughes. Um, Jim published a report, oh, five years ago, six years ago, seven years ago, having to do with New Jersey's information economy. And what he was really talking about, in my opinion, was the talented workforce, right. educated individuals, information economy. But the prescient observation he made in that report was that businesses build buildings to house their employees. <laughs> right. Well, the workplace. <laughs> yep. That's why we have these office buildings, right? If the if the dynamic of work has changed, do companies still need those office buildings? If they do, what do they look like right. in a post-COVID world? If they don't need those office buildings, how are they addressing, how are they, how is leadership at, at individual companies addressing questions having to do with you know, collaboration, corporate culture? Those are all very important questions that companies need to answer. Um, let's not forget we're six months into, I mean, this is like the never ending tropical <laughs> storm. Right. You know, I mean, can you imagine six months of Hurricane Sandy? No, I mean, no, this is what we're dealing with. Uh, but he, know, he agrees with you um, in that there's that, that collaboration and uh, culture has to happen. And he's put a name on it. He calls the hub as a club that even though you could work more remotely, you're still going to have to get together for certain things. And that facility will still be needed. Now, will it still be in New York or will it be in Somerset County is the question. And that's the part that won't be answered for another year or two. Well, and we, we think, I think, we think, that question will be answered by answering the simple secondary question, which is, where's our talent? Right. And if the people we employ are in Somerset, Speaking, if I were running a company, one would say, where are the people we employ? Yep. Okay. If they're in Somerset County and we need a place for them to get together, yep. why are we putting that in New York? <laughs> you, got it. you got it. And the other thing he said is that CEO used to develop the corporate office where he wanted to live. And he's saying now it's more like personnel is developing the offices to where the talent is and the CEO will move there or come well, there. So while I'm presenting that message, let's be clear about the competitive environment, right? There is no nothing written that says we'll be successful right. in Somerset County in attracting talent. Uh, so we have to work at it. Okay. Additionally, while we believe that companies will follow the talent, or to put it the way I put it previously, 
that talent will drive the decision-making. We're also seeing examples, Microsoft being one of them. Microsoft has in large part said, work from home. And we don't care where you live. We're not going to pay you like you're living in New York. Right. You're living in Idaho. Yeah. But we don't care where you live. So when we talk about here, Somerset County attracting talent, we have to recognize that we're competing nationally. Nationally. Based on where people want to live. Yep. Uh, just a little example of that, though, is the real estate market between Hunterdon and Somerset last month was very interesting. In both cases, both counties passed year to date the amount of units of sales of the year before, even though we're suffering from inventory. But Somerset County passed it by four units and Hunterdon County passed it by 22%. So it could be an anomaly, but I don't think it matters where people are anymore. I think as long as they can commute and can have the work ethic being remote, you still need a way to find that culture. You still need to find a work that, that think tank or whatever you want to call it, the camaraderie. Um, and it doesn't have to be Hunterdon or Somerset County. As you said, it could be Reading, Pennsylvania, where it costs half to live what it costs here. Yeah, and look, that I want to be clear that I don't think, I have not yet seen any specific trend, long range trend as to where these two competing dynamics are going. I think we have a lot of short-term anecdotal data driven by a public health response to a public health emergency, <laughs> mm -hmm. right? That was just six months ago, seven months ago, right? Um, so I think there's a lot of short-term data out there. We you know, and we know what that data is. We know where it shows up. As you observed, it, it, you know, in large part shows up in housing data because that if, if right. people are trying to get out of densely populated urban areas that, you know, that, that's the decision they're going to make. Um, we also know there's some anomalies in that data because there have been published reports that Many people engaged in, in simply temporary temporary uh, relocations and have every intent to going back to, I, I've personally, I've spoken to, and again, this is all anecdotal, but I've talking, spoken to people uh, from a business perspective that, you know, they're working out of their house in the Catskills. They yep. live in Manhattan. They'll still tell you they live in Manhattan. Right. But so, you know, there've been a lot of short-term, um, well, there's a lot of short-term data out there. Uh, on the other side of that equation, I have not yet seen 
a consensus emerge as to what companies are going to do. And there's, again, divergent opinions. I just read, oh, a couple weeks ago, I don't want to use any name, but one of the big financial, I forget because I forget, I don't <laughs> want to use the name, but one of the big financial companies stated unequivocally that his people need to come back to work. I mean, this is a, you know, a multinational financial institution. And then on the other side of that equation, we know of employers that have said, don't even think about coming back until January, second quarter next year, whenever it is. That's far from a consensus. (laughs) That's for sure. Because then you got everything in between. It's going to take uh, some sorting out, as you say. Um, I mean, one thing I witnessed, at, we have a hack hundred and thing that has stopped meeting now, um, but we met once a month. We had a guy present the last time we met via Zoom how his virtual company worked. And this was inaugurated before COVID. It's a, a two or three-year-old company of 43 people that have no offices whatsoever. And they do technology They'd probably do somewhere between 15 and $20 million. And they do get, they, they have very rigid hiring standards to get the right person who can work in that environment. And they do do something every six to eight weeks where they get everybody together somewhere in the country. But there's no office. It was a virtual company of professionals. And it's already happening all aside from COVID. So you've, you've got two diverging paths one is things like that, which is very minuscule so far. And the other is we're never going back to New York, um, which is not diverging. It's almost the same thought. And then the third, of the, which is the diverging, saying we need to get the people back in the office. And I, I think it's going to be pretty hard to get a lot of people back to the farm at this point. Yeah, I don't, you know, I was interested. I actually, you know, I had some notes here. Um, there was one survey, and again, I mean, these are just take them for what they're worth, but uh, there was one survey by one of the corporate real estate uh, firms that indicated 70% of people want to come back to the office for socialization and collaboration. Wow. That I can believe. So, you know, again, we're this is not as though this is not as though a disaster has ended <laughs> yep. and and we can now begin returning to normal right this is a to a large extent an ongoing disaster quote unquote disaster and uh there's still a lot of decision making to be made and back to what we've done you know, so number one is we've tried to position ourselves not only with knowledge, but also uh, use experts in the form of our task force to try and define what, what we, given our best thinking, what we think the future will look like. And we've tried to translate that into discrete actions in the near term so that we can be more fully prepared when a long-term consensus or direction begins to emerge. 
and becomes clear. Yeah. It's hard to think about painting the barn when it's on fire. And <laughs> right now we're in a fire yeah. mode. John, I, I appreciate you being able to spend this time with me. I think it's probably a pretty good logical point. Um, would like to pick up with you again after the first of the year and see what's transpired and where we are between now and then. What what haven't we covered that you would have liked to have mentioned though before we break? Um, you know, I well, what, first off, thank you for your time. Thank you for reaching out to me. I appreciate that. Uh, if there's any, you know, I would just point out that if there's any questions, I can be reached at the Somerset County Business Partnership offices, uh, 908-218. 4300 extension 25 and uh, John at scbp scbp.org. <clears throat> Excuse me, acronym for Somerset County Business Partner. So good. I'll put both of those links on the uh, plus a picture of you so people know you. Okay. <laughs> on my site when I publish this, which will be about a week out. And yeah. um, Hopefully you will hear for some people, but um, you've always been a resource of knowledge. I first met you when we started doing the Leadership Somerset and I was getting into the employment. And then I did, I lived, I was 101st and then I did Somerset. And I know, um, Which was a much better program. Uh, you know, I got to admit they were much different. They're, they're both interesting. And then Sunday, um, you know, the guy, I'm trying to get his name that does the uh, New Jersey um outdoors site um brad fay oh yeah yeah i had him on about two or three weeks ago and we talked about his staycation ideas which is now turned into a fall visit idea format his staycation started in july august he had twenty six thousand hits on his site for people thinking about doing something and Hunterdon County and Somerset County in the, uh, what's, I guess his new is the Sourlands area, but they've got the whole, uh, the whole central Jersey thing, which is sort of a, um, a comical twist on, is there really a central New Jersey? Right. Got right. A couple, like I say, a Stephen Colbert on talking about it and some, several other people. But so look, Joe, that's a good point. Um, you may want to, ask Jackie Jacqueline Morales here, our tourism director. Um, I did not cover it because we were primarily on the employment and jobs and side of things. Uh, but Jackie did, we did realign our tourism marketing. Obviously we had to, right? right. Because we weren't getting that uh, business travel market. Uh, so we've taken similar steps um, and I know that Jackie has uh, really repositioned our tourism marketing to that same type of an audience, right? It's, it's really a, a friends and family audience, right? I will pick her up on that because we just personally, we just needed to get out of the house two weekends ago. And we drove down to, um, I think we're all the way down in the just north of 95, we visited a dairy farm and bought some cheese and we stopped at Princeton campus and walked around for an hour and had an ice cream. It was like you needed to get out of the house time. Right, and, right. Um, people are looking for it. I'll pick her up. We'll do a separate session just on that. And I'll ask her to listen to Brad so we don't overlap it. <laughs> but right. we have some beautiful things to see right here in Onion County, um, all the way back to the Revolutionary War where, where you could sit up on Johnson Drive and... Uh, 
watch hung and see where Washington was sitting while he watched the Redcoats march out of New York City and New Brunswick yep. and uh, down to the farmlands and the wineries. And uh, it's just a great place to live. Hundred and in Somerset. I, I say it keeps getting nicer as you go to the West, but there's a point where you can't tell one from the other. I mean, my one of my advertising is if you're thinking about working, uh, about relocating to New Jersey, um, you're you're probably about 20 miles east of west of Newark Airport on 78 when you come into Somerset County and you're going to say, "Wow, I can see why people live here." And it right. just keeps getting better. If you want yep. more and more bucolicism, if there's such a word, um, keep driving. It gets nicer and more mountainy. But Somerset County is a great place. And there's so much history and there's so much to do. Wow. Thanks again, John. What a great amount of information that's contained inside of one individual. I think it's uh, a blessing that Somerset County has someone like John doing the job that he does. Once again, this is Joe Peters. I can be reached at 908-238-0118 or my site, jpeters.com. Thank you for tuning in. One of the biggest decisions in your lifetime is buying or selling a house. Choosing a realtor with strong client communication, technology, and marketing skills will dramatically improve your chance of success. That's why Hunterdon and Somerset's residents rely on Joe Peters. Joe believes his clients deserve a smooth and seamless experience, not a roller coaster ride. As a Coldwell Banker Sales Associate with 20 years of experience, he's helped hundreds of people to achieve their goals and dreams, no matter where they were in the buying or selling process. Here's what his satisfied customers have to say. Joe guided us through the process of selling our home and made a complicated transaction appear seamless. Joe is diligent and responsive without being pushy and truly keeps his client's best interest in mind. He would return calls within minutes if he didn't pick up. Joe accomplishes this by approaching every transaction from a business perspective. Initially, he tries to fully understand your goals and dreams and make them his own. Then he takes the mass amount of data that's available and distills it down to a few understandable action points. And finally, he controls the entire process through technology and marketing. The end result to you is a smooth, rewarding customer experience. Let Joe show you how to take his professional expertise and put it to work for you. To contact Joe, go to jpeters.com. You can call 908-238-0118 or text to 908-304-4660.